Welcome to Quirky, Creepy, and Freaky, a podcast where I tell you about wonky animal facts. I'm your host, Olivia, and each episode I will share with you a different weird fact from the animal kingdom. So, spring is here, and summer is right around the corner, unless you live a bit more south than I do, and in that case, summer has been with you for a while. Either way, all of our super favorite warm weather bugs are out and about in full force. Many of them we might actually enjoy, like butterflies, are a popular favorite, and I have seen our monarch butterflies being back in the area now. And our fireflies should be coming out soon, if they're not out already where you are. But there are some others, like the various biting insects that may have fewer fans. Many of these biting critters are what we would call ectoparasites. Now, when you think of parasites, you probably mostly think of internal parasites, like our horse hair worms that we've talked about, or things like tapeworms that live in our guts. Ectoparasites are parasites that live on the outside of the host, so things that bite us in the spring and summer and also steal our blood would be ectoparasites. We are going to take the next several episodes to highlight some of these ectoparasites, kicking it off this week with a favorite, so get ready to maybe be a little itchy, get yourself some heebie-jeebies, and buckle on in. So every spring, they come back out. You hear that high-pitched whining buzz in your ear, and then before you know it, you have an itchy bite welt spot that sticks around for a couple of days. You know what I'm talking about? We've got mosquitoes. Around the world, there are around 3,600 known species of mosquitoes, and mosquitoes are a kind of small fly, all related in the family Coulicidae, so they're related to our housefly friends, just in a different family. Mosquitoes do have a global distribution. Pretty much anywhere you go, you will find some species of mosquitoes, except they don't live in the coldest areas of the planet, so places like Antarctica and then the polar or subpolar regions. They do need still stagnant water to lay their eggs, so speaking with these colder areas, if the water's frozen, they can't really lay their eggs, and in many of those areas, it's just too cold for them to function anyway, for now at least. When those mosquito eggs hatch in their stagnant, watery area, their larvae will stick around for a few days. When they're ready for metamorphosis, they then leave the water and fly around to do their adult mosquito business. Since mosquitoes have two different habitats, mosquitoes have quite a few predators. Dragonfly larvae are also aquatic and, and feed quite voraciously on mosquito larvae and there are even some species of mosquito that eat other mosquito larvae. As adults, mosquitoes have to watch out for things like bats and birds, and with the birds, it's primarily things like purple martins and other swallows, as well as songbirds, even hummingbirds. And of course, they have to avoid spiders and their webs, however well they can. So what sort of mosquito business do they get around to? Well, if you are a female mosquito, that mosquito business is finding a host to get a blood meal from. Female mosquitoes need the nutrients like protein and iron in order to produce eggs. So they do need to drink blood in order to properly lay their eggs or to lay the right number of eggs. Male mosquitoes um, actually do not drink blood, so it's only the female mosquitoes that do this. The male mosquitoes eat nectar from flowers, and female mosquitoes will as well, but they can't get all of the nutrients that they need from nectar in order to properly create eggs. 
Mosquitoes don't just target humans. Other mammals can be host to mosquitoes as well, as well as other animals like birds, amphibians, reptiles, and even some fish and other invertebrates. Mosquitoes mostly find their hosts through smell. They have 72 scent receptors on their antennae, and at least 27 of those can detect the different chemicals in our sweat in order to locate a human food host. Along with our lovely sweat smell, they can detect CO2, so the carbon dioxide, and some of the alcohols that are normally present in our breath anyway. Now, you may be wondering if this is all they're going for. Why do I get bit more than the person standing right next to me? Well, of course, mosquitoes do have some feeding preferences. They find type O blood particularly tasty and may also be more attracted to people who are heavy breathers, have a higher body temperature, or even just have a higher abundance of bacteria on the skin. So while you might not know if you have more bacteria on your skin than your buddy next to you, if any of these situations apply to you, you may find yourself being a mosquito buffet while your friend is almost completely ignored. Now, the tendency for mosquitoes to bite things and drink their blood has led to them getting a pretty notorious reputation. While many people may not be super aware of this, mosquitoes have gained the number one title on the list of world's deadliest animals, so now you know. When you think about deadly animals, you might be more inclined to think about venomous snakes, some of our large shark friends like the great white, bears, and some things like that, maybe even hippos. Sharks actually barely make the top 15 on the list, with averaging about six deaths per year, so really not that much for the reputation that they have. Snakes as a whole group are at least higher on the list, taking the number three spot with about 100,000 deaths per year. Mosquitoes, though, leave them all in the dust, being responsible for a whopping average 750,000 deaths per year. Now, if you're wondering what the number two spot is, the number two spot is humans, and we have an average of about 400,000 globally, just taking homicides into account. So I'm sure if you took some more accidental things into account, possibly that number could be higher. But for now, mosquitoes are still number one. How can this be, now you ask? So mosquitoes don't have venom, and in many areas of the world, people are bit all the time by mosquitoes and haven't killed over yet, so what gives? All of these mosquito deaths come from their ability to spread diseases. Different areas of the world have different mosquito-borne illnesses, along with varying um, levels of transmission, so some places might have quite a few mosquito-borne illnesses, but just not a very high occurrence. So, kind of going with that, the great thing for many, many people is that most mosquito-borne illnesses aren't super common in all areas, and for the most part, all of them are very treatable. As an example, heartworm in dogs is spread by mosquito bites, so chances are if you have a dog, you give your pet a preventative heartworm medication, and they're never going to have it. So then, where do many of these deaths come from? There are a few mosquito-borne illnesses that are particularly problematic or particularly problematic largely because they occur in areas that are fairly low income on average or remote, there's not a lot of access to medical care, um, things like that. So some of these are going to be some things like malaria, dengue fever is pretty high on the list as well, and then there are things like West Nile virus that does occur in the United States, as well as Zika virus. 
but it's really malaria that is responsible for most of the global mosquito-related deaths. In 2020, malaria was responsible for about 627,000 deaths, and then we have a pretty dramatic drop to dengue fever having about 4,000 deaths, and a similar number of that due to West Nile virus globally. In the United States, West Nile virus is the highest occurring mosquito-borne illness, but um, it still only has, I mean only, has about 2,500 cases reported last year, and that's just reported, that's not deaths. So let's talk a little bit about a couple of these mosquito-borne illnesses. So starting off with malaria, malaria is carried by the Anopheles mosquitoes. So ma uh, malaria only occurs wherever this mosquito is. The mosquito occurs mostly in warm, uh, more tropical areas like Sub-Saharan Africa, South or Southeast Asia, and they all can also live in Central and South America and some of the Pacific Islands as well. There are some areas with warm climates that would be favorable to malaria, but it doesn't occur there simply because the Anopheles mosquito just isn't there. So that mosquito is really that critical factor for malaria transmission. These hot temperatures are also necessary for the malaria parasite to develop inside the mosquito to then be transmitted. That's right, malaria isn't caused by a bacteria or a virus, it is a protist parasite. So it's not an animal, it's not a fungus, it's not anything else, it's just kind of a thing. Um, that's kind of how we've grouped protists at the moment. Um, the parasite is called uh, plasmodium, and there are actually several different species of plasmodium parasite that cause malaria, and each of them have slightly different severities and slightly different original hosts. There is one that is common in macaques that can be transmitted to humans, so there is a small zoonotic effect there, or animal-to-human transmission possibility. So in mild cases, malaria is going to produce a more flu-like illness with fever, shaking, chills, muscle aches, um, some digestive issues, but if it gets more severe, it can develop into kidney failure, mental confusion and disorientation, and or death. Now, malaria is a pretty treatable disease, and even in severe cases, it can be cured, but the length of treatment is going to depend on how sick you get, the type of malaria you have, and how soon you get medical care for it. And really, the ability to get medical care for malaria is really the determining factor in how well you are going to be able to recover from it. Many of the malaria deaths, or most of them, are from low-income and rural or isolated areas, where healthcare is just inaccessible, either due to the sheer distance it would take to get to medical assistance, or just not being able to afford it. There are ways to prevent uh, getting malaria. If you happen to be traveling to a malaria um, or a high malaria transmission area, there are anti-malaria drugs that you can take preventatively in order to keep yourself from getting sick. But you can also take measures to prevent mosquito bites as well. If you live in malaria-prone areas, this is, or these can be quite effective. So things like sleeping under mosquito nets and wearing long-sleeve clothing, using insect repellents, those sorts of things. 
to move on to a different one to highlight real quick. Uh, we'll talk about West Nile virus. So West Nile virus, in the this one occurs in the United States, and this one of the assorted mosquito-borne illnesses has the most cases in the U.S., but it is still only a couple thousand a year, so in terms of risk, it is pretty low risk, but it is around. It hasn't always been here. It was first reported in the United States in 1999, and since then has been recorded in all states except Hawaii and Alaska. West Nile virus can be spread by more than one species of mosquito, so it's not like malaria where it's only spread by one um, group of mosquitoes, but many of the mosquitoes responsible for transmission are the Culex mosquitoes. In many cases, people that are infected with West Nile are either asymptomatic or only get mild symptoms. It may show up very much like a flu-like illness. Um, serious illnesses of West Nile virus, on the other hand, these only happen in an estimated 1% of cases, but it does target the nervous system. So with that, symptoms that you may have from a more serious infection can be things like brain inflammation and or meningitis, confusion, tremors, and maybe even paralysis. It is quite treatable if you have access to medical care, of course, and people with mild symptoms may only be sick for a few days. Unfortunately, in cases of a more serious infection, if the person recovers from the illness, the neurological effects they may have had could be permanent. So preventing getting West Nile virus is much like preventing malaria and mosquito bites in general. So in the United States, many areas have screens on the windows, so that will help keep mosquito bites to a minimum indoors, but we should also remove or minimize any sort of still standing water. Long sleeve shirts and long pants can help prevent you getting bit. Uh, mosquito repellents, all of that good stuff. So with mosquitoes generally being a nuisance insect, but also spreading diseases, some super common questions that people ask may include, are mosquitoes important? Do we need them? Can we or should we just get rid of them? What role do they play in the ecosystem other than being annoying and spreading disease? I'm pretty sure at some point in time I've been asked all of these questions, so now when people ask you these questions, here are some things you can talk about. So one thing that I mentioned earlier is that mosquitoes are pollinators. So while we may not want to encourage them in your yard to pollinate in your plants since, you know, uh, mosquitoes, the males do only drink nectar and will therefore be pollinating plants, and the mosquito or the female mosquitoes are going to be playing a pollinator role as well. And because orchids like to specialize their pollinators, there are some orchid plants out there that can only be pollinated by mosquitoes. So while this may cause some people to question the worth itness, if we did get rid of all mosquito species, those flowers that are specialized for mosquitoes would also be gone. And of course, there is the aspect of providing food for other things. I talked earlier that many birds eat mosquitoes, and you may not think of hummingbirds as eating bugs, but they do. And that protein source is actually a very important form of energy for them. They do have a very long migration, and they have to fly, um, in or, or they have to eat almost all the time in order to um, have energy for their rapid metabolism. 
So protein along with their nectar really adds another boost of energy. And there are also things like dragonfly larvae that eat mosquito larvae quite a lot. And are a, um, the mosquito larvae are a pretty important food source for them. So while I don't necessarily expect any or all of you to suddenly turn into mosquito enthusiasts, mosquitoes do have at least a little bit more to offer than just biting everybody. And now to end with, I would like to leave you with a few nice mosquito control tips that you can use that aren't just spraying your whole yard with pesticides. While they do tend to be effective, hence them being used, spraying large areas like that can also kill other bugs that we want to encourage in the area. So things like bees, butterflies, fireflies, ladybugs, and many other bugs that we want to continue having around, they are declining in many cases because of our pesticide happy ways. So some of the best things that you can do to keep mosquitoes down in your space, other than using pesticides, one of the big ones is to really remove any source of still stagnant water around. So this can be clearing the gutters on your house. If you have a bucket of water in your yard for whatever reason, or a um, kind of a pail, make sure that's emptied when you're not using it. If you do have a pond, um, have some sort of fountain or waterfall, keep the water moving. So still water is where they breed, so if you don't encourage them by providing them the breeding space, you will have fewer mosquitoes in your space. You can also create a yard that encourages mosquito predators. If you add in some bird feeders, these can be a great way to bring in a variety of bird species that may eat some of the mosquitoes. And you can also get bat houses to encourage bats or even have a pond with a fountain to encourage frogs. So you can have the frogs that can eat some mosquitoes while also not giving your mosquitoes a place to live. There really are quite a few different options. I know you can find one that works for you while also helping to support your local wildlife and other pollinators. Thank you for listening to today's episode and be sure to come on back for the next episode in a couple of weeks with another ectoparasite. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and you can also find us on Spotify, Podbean, Amazon Music, or really just about wherever you listen to podcasts. There are a few options to help support this podcast. You can share us with someone you know that could use some more animal facts in your life and maybe wants to learn some good mosquito prevention tips. For about the same price as a, as a Hulu um, membership with ads, you can also become a patron on Patreon at patreon.com slash quirkycreepyfreakypod. You can also find me on Instagram, so give the podcast a follow at quirkycreepyfreakypod. And if you have a favorite quirky, creepy, or freaky animal fact, send it on in at quirkycreepyfreakypod at gmail.com and we may use it in a future episode. Audio editing and recording is done by me. And the intro music was created by Kaylee Strait. Thank you for listening.